Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Back to the Table. I'm Di Archer and I'm the CEO of Charity Taste Life UK. Okay, well, let's get going, shall we? Let's yes. have let's have a conversation. Got here Graham, my husband. Hello. And um, yeah, Dave and Jill. Tell us about you. Yeah, we're we're, um, we're married, and we um, have been parents of a daughter who had uh, an eating disorder. Uh, my wife and our daughter went on a Taste Life course, and we're also now uh, leaders, co-leaders of the Taste Life uh, course ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. Did you want to add anything to that, Jill? Um, What's your background? Just, uh, well, I was an occupational therapist, so mm-hmm. I was. I didn't want to work in eating disorders. I remember that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then recently, well, I, I trained over 10 years ago to be a counsellor and then recently as a, an eating disorder practitioner. So okay. it's been mm. quite a journey. Oh, let's, well, we'll look forward to hearing more <laughs> about that. And we're all here, aren't we? Because we've had daughters with eating disorders. Yeah. And plot spoiler right at the beginning, our daughters are doing fine now, for which we are yes. so deeply grateful. Absolutely. But it is such a journey and the point of talking about it is to try and encourage perhaps those who are going through it at the moment. Mm. So the idea is to tell our stories and talk a bit about maybe there's some things we wish we'd known at the time Absolutely. and to encourage some people. So um, wh- why don't we start with, you know, could you give us um, a potted version of what happened with you and your family? Yes, definitely. Um our daughter is very happy for us to do this and doesn't want us to say her name. Okay. So I'm just respecting that. And so we'll we'll refer to her as our daughter and she. So about six years ago, um, our daughter was 14. And um, in year 10, school or nine, year, year nine, and seemed to be fine with a, you know, a small group of friends. Um, and we had a lovely holiday in Austria in the summer. And then in the, it was the winter term, the, the September term. And uh, in, just gradually, it was a little bit like a, a train coming towards us with a tiny white light. It just got nearer and nearer. I think that our daughter was gradually getting depressed, but we mm. didn't realise it. She kept that hidden from us. Um, and she sort of more withdrawn, quiet, not her bubbly self. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of sparkle in her eyes started to to go. And we didn't realise that she was um, beginning to reduce her food intake. And it wasn't until the Christmas of that year that uh, people, uh, friends of ours, mm-hmm. pointed out that our daughter, uh, to them, was showing signs of uh, having lost weight quite dramatically. Um, and other physical features which spoke as if she was struggling with uh, personal issues, including her food intake, that actually what they saw staring in the face, we, in the day-to-day familiar, mm. didn't mm. pick up on in a way that we could or should have done. Mm, that's right. And it wasn't until she went to stay with friends of ours, mum was a paediatrician, that they, they rang me afterwards and just said, you must take her to a GP as soon as possible. Um, okay. 
Um, so we did that. Um, she was eventually diagnosed. Um, we were fortunate with CAMS. They did get to see her quite quickly. But, um, you know, it was then another year of taking her to appointments, which I'm sure people um, will you know, identify with a weekly appointments, weekly weigh-ins, which was extremely distressing for her diagnosed with anorexia. And it seemed as though, um, you know, she she wasn't making the progress um, that they wanted. Um, and we decided to try to do a hospital at home. We, we did everything we could to avoid her getting to hospital. That seemed like it would be the worst thing for her. Okay. Um, but it came at a, uh, quite a cost, didn't it? Well, there was a <laughs> member of the CAMS team at a different hospital who were so thankful that we were referred to, who did a home visit um, whilst we were still having a family meal um, with our daughter included, where it was she that picked up that actually this had gone so uh, to a serious uh, point mm-hmm. uh, that our daughter needed to be admitted uh, almost straight away to have the professional full-time care, not only for our daughter's sake, but also for the sake of her family, uh, Jill and I included, uh, where our daughter would just be monitored uh, rigorously uh, day in and day out. Yes, I mean, initially they suggested respite, but when our daughter was admitted to the um, children's ward of this general hospital, um, the nursing staff came up to us and said, you've, you've been dealing with all of this at home on your own. We said, yes. Uh, they were just so staggered because they realised how poorly she was. Um, and then, you know, she, our daughter just wasn't ready for, for change, really. Mm-hmm. And we were fortunate that they had a psychiatric team. So the consultant would say, I'm waiting for the light to go on in her, in her eyes and for her to see that she needs to change. Um, our daughter then, you know, was was put into a wheelchair and, and had to be on bed rest and then um, have an NG tube down and did, uh, sat her GCSEs on the ward. Um, what's, an, what's an NG tube? Um, a nasogastric feeding tube. So it uh, goes straight down through to the stomach. Um, and, yeah, the, the staff were amazing, actually. It... In some ways, although this was not what we wanted, um, and we wanted to protect our daughter, um, it, it did enable us to just be parents. And when you visited her, you could just curl up on the bed with her and just watch a movie or, you know, just be just be a, a loving parent. And that really helped. Um, and then still wasn't making progress, unfortunately, and the consultant said to her, um, look, we've gone as far as we can. We, we now are looking at referring you to a, a national eating disorder unit. Um, and, you know, this was a shock to her. And I remember, you know, being with, with our daughter uh, on, on her bed. And I said, look, um, there's a good unit in Birmingham. And, and we were in Chesterfield, not far from Sheffield. And um, my daughter looked at me and she said, I'm not going anywhere with such determination. And, and from that point, really, um, she just made the most remarkable recovery, didn't she? 
something needed to happen yeah. that would have woken her up, to coin a phrase, where she realised that allowing to continue the way that things had, had been for some months was only going to uh, put her into a more frightening situation uh, away from her parents um, and that she had, in a way that she chose to, the, the power and the will to make yeah. a difference and to respond. And that trigger of having the threat of moving uh, or being moved yeah. away mm. hundreds of miles potentially mm. from her home destination and the familiar territory sparked something in her in a way that, as Jill has said, brought about a dramatic before and after experience mm. in a way that she would want to take positive steps in a way that she'd want to receive the um, offers of food yeah. um, more frequently and then eventually all of the time yeah. in wanting to write about the illness that she wants to leave behind. Yeah, she began to utilise all the resources uh, inside her, like that determination and mm. and just being, you know, like a, a stubbornness, but to turn it against the eating disorder. And we, mm. you know, helped her to externalise it. And I remember sitting down with her and saying, well, what is it that you want in life, you know? Uh, and, and she said, well, I want to... Uh, get out of this wheelchair and I want to attend my year 11 end of year ball the summer ball and I want to go to sixth form and I want to go to university and I want to have a boyfriend and I said well the eating disorders are going to stop you all the way along from doing that and she drew it out and um uh and I think that that helped and she also drew what Anna or anorexia looked like this ghostly horrible emaciated figure and externalizing it and pulling it out from herself she then could just use her energy against it and it was bite by bite really for her and it was it was painful to watch in that it it, it required so much of her but within 30 days she was out from the wheelchair the ng tube was out um, she had attended her summer ball and eaten, eaten two out of the four courses wow. with the help from the dietitian and advice. Um, and then she was discharged at the end of July, I think, so four months after she was admitted and has gone into, you know, complete recovery. That's, She's one of the ones that... Mm, that's, that's really good to hear. 25%, I think. Mm, that, yes. They make yes. a, a full and complete recovery. Yeah. So it took time for us all to adjust to this new daughter who had an insatiable desire and hunger for life. And sure enough, she, she did. She's attained all those goals um, and has gone on now to be training to be a paediatric nurse because she was so inspired by the, the team on the ward and thought, that's what I want. I want to be able to help others. Thank you so much for your honesty there and sharing the story. I'm kind of really relieved to hear the bit that you missed it happening. You didn't realise that your daughter was yeah. sliding down into anorexia nervosa um, because I missed it as well. Um, a very similar situation that you'll hear about. I'm, I'm going to ask my husband, Graham, to talk about it a bit more, but I, 
I also wanted to say how much I related to that last bit that you said where your daughter rediscovered her passion for life and working with Taste Life it's something that I, I, I loved like there's the people that um, that we work with are that is so true of all of them. They have this deep passion for life, and it just feels like th- things just get in the way of that. But actually, the fact that she could tap in back into that mm. was such a thing. Uh, but yeah, Graham. Okay, mm. perhaps you could tell our story or at least start it off. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and again, uh, our daughter is. Uh, happy for us to make reference to her story in order that other people would be helped. I think we totally related to everything you said about, um, you know, kind of being caught out almost, yeah. not not seeing it. I think w- when somebody's physique changes slowly in front of you, you don't mm-hmm. notice it, do you? But other people recognise mm-hmm. it. And um, our daughter was a little bit older than your daughter, but also she had uh, bulimia, anorexia. So I, I think probably the the kind of challenges were slightly different for us. Um, our daughter went to live in the States for a while and while she was there realised that um, uh, that she had a, a range of safe foods in the UK that weren't easy to access in the States and she was living with a family. Uh, you know, clearly she was struggling with food before, long before we were aware of it and she'd already defined what foods she would allow her to herself to eat mm. and those that she wouldn't. I, I don't think that was on any nutritional kind of scale. It was just what felt safe to her. And so uh, in a way, although she'd found a, a little bit of a settled state in her relationship with food in this country, when she went abroad, it, it, all, it all went crazy. And I think she just stopped eating, really. Um, and it was people in the States... Uh, rather like your story, that spotted that that not just that she was a little bit slim or a little bit ill, but that there was something seriously wrong with her. Mm. And um, for her, the potassium levels had gone very low, which meant she was admitted uh, into hospital through through A&E. And and I think since this is about the parents' story in a way, um, I, I think one of the things we started was, well, how did we miss that? Uh, why didn't we see it? Um, but but I think beyond that, I, I think we were also a bit sort of rabbits caught in the headlights mm. because uh, this thing, you know, was there, was right in front of us. Um, and, and we didn't know anything about eating disorders. You, you know, you know, a, a few bits and pieces. Um, and, I, and I think for me, maybe as a man, I was thinking, well, there must be something that can fix this. So, you know, where's the book? on eating disorders that will tell me bullet points do this and the person will get well and and often that's true of most sicknesses isn't it and especially when you've got children they 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 have things from time to time mumps or measles or whatever and you 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 find the instruction that tells you if you do this that they'll be well but our our daughter was a little older than your daughter she was um she 18 19 19 so so a little bit more independent um, um, less kind of. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think she regressed in some to some extent in terms of her relationship with us and became a bit younger, um, a bit more dependent than she had been. But but nevertheless, the the services that were recommended to her treated her as an adult, 
Uh, and and that was interesting because in a way she was behind a wall of confidentiality, but we were the ones that were looking after her. Um, she was not hospitalised as your daughter was, so so the care was in the home. It was it was us and her brother and sister that that tried to create the shape of care around her that would f- firstly keep her safe. How do we? keep her safe so that she doesn't have this kind of these episodes again and and secondly how do you create the environment to help her begin to address it and overcome it and I suppose it's that latter thing that we 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 learned to we learned we we learned how to do the first bit (laughs) to create a home where she was safe um we 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 couldn't work out the other bit uh, and it, it wasn't really until she found somebody else who was a trained counsellor whose daughters had suffered in a similar kind of way that she was able, outside of the family situation, to talk about some of the things that had caused her to look for a bit of a control mechanism. Um, but I, I think, you know, Diana and I have worked with people through Taste Life for a number of years, and it, it often feels that that there's this rabbit-in-the-headlight reaction from parents who find themselves in the middle of something that they hadn't seen, they hadn't predicted, and now they were completely out of their comfort zone and looking for any kind of tips or guidelines on on what to do. Relating to the when does the light go on moment, um, I suppose ev- everybody I speak to who's sort of in a similar position that we were in want that, you know, how can we create that? Can we create something that will cause that light to go on? But it is, you know, it's beyond our control, I guess. Uh, But for us, what happened was that um, we were looking after our daughter at home and her potassium levels had dropped again. And she finally confessed to me that they'd gone right back down to dangerous levels. I was in the kitchen and I had the screaming heebie-jeebies and just sort of basically probably sank to the floor. And she was like, oh, mum, 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 mum. And my husband works from home. So he came out He came out of the study and heard this news. And I said, I can't do it anymore. I cannot keep her alive anymore. I can't. I'm exhausted with trying to keep her alive. I, I don't know what else to do. She'll have to go to hospital. Do you want to go to hospital? Do you want to go to hospital? I said, well, you have to because I can't. I can't do it anymore. Um, and then that was when you picked up the carving knife, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't attack her with it or anything. I just, but I, but I picked it up and I said, it just feels like you know you've got you, you've got a, a knife in this eating disorder and you're just slowly stabbing yourself with it. And I kind of acted out that whole kind of pointing it towards myself, and it just feels like you, for no reason. You, you know, you're just allowing yourself to destroy yourself. What, what, what do we do to turn it around? And, and she would say now that that probably was a bit of a key moment because she's quite a visual person and a creative person. And I think, I think probably hadn't quite grasped the power that she had over our, her own life and the power to destroy it. And 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 maybe that's where the beginnings of a kind of if I've got power to destroy my life, I've also got power to rebuild it came from. Um, but I, I don't know if this is your experience, Di, but quite, quite a number of parents we've worked with over the years have, have talked about, you know, moments where it dawns upon the person who's suffering that they have more power than they think they have or they have a choice to make. They need to paint a picture of the future that looks very different and... 
and lovely, and that sounds like what happened with your daughter as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that the looking to the future and looking at well, if I carry on like this, I will go that way. If I carry on like this, I go the other way. You know, what what do I really really want? Mm. Um, and I felt like we'd said all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not about other people no, no. saying it. It's about you perceiving it for yourself as a sufferer to see it to capture some kind of vision of a future that is is better. So one of the things that would be good to just chat about is the things that people don't chat about, the things that people are um, find it difficult to maybe admit or recognise about being a parent in this situation where you are trying to support your offspring with eating issues. And um, one, one of the things I think is between the difference in reactions between perhaps mum and dad. So I'm kind of like intuitive, I'm emotional. I, I think I picked up all of our daughter's emotions and put them on top of my own. And I just basically, it was very easy for me just in a bad way to go up and down with her. So if she was having a good moment, I would have a good moment. If she was in the pits, I was in the pits. Um, and it was very difficult also to pull back from the fear. One of the major things I think that is so distressing for everyone around eating disorders is the level of fear because it's you can get stuck in that place of being afraid of getting well and afraid of being ill. And it's like really hard as a, well, I found it really hard as a mum to, to sort of pull back from that. I don't know yeah, how did how did you find that, Jill? Oh, I was totally. Uh, it's, okay. it's great to <laughs> okay. hear this is therapy for me um, because I, I, I'm, you know, naturally a very emotional person as well, intuitive, and I I think I picked up all all our daughters' emotions and carried them, and then got um, swept away in them. Yeah, and I didn't realise, but looking back now, I I knew that I was in. I'd say attachment, panic and distress. So I was uh, totally in a hypervigilant uh, fight-flight um, place and I, I, I was as much fighting to survive and keep my head above water as I, I felt that our daughter was. Mm. And, and I was just, I just lost the plot. So I, I can I identify with the meltdowns in the kitchen. Mm. Um and I had one where, yeah, I remember sort of screaming out. Um, no one else was in the house apart from the dog, and I think the dog's still traumatised by that outburst. Um, but I, I, I do, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think okay. maybe come on, boys, it's different for come you. On. How was yeah. it for you? Well, I think I think the emotions are still there. I mean, there's nothing more vulnerable for a, for a parent than fearing for your child's life. So I, I don't think I was unemotional. But I think one of the things I found difficult is that, you know, an essential quality to an eating disorder is that there's secrecy and uh, around it. So if my daughter said, you know, I'm throwing up twice a day, I would think, oh, OK, twice a day and not think, oh, that probably means 10 times a day or something. So so I think I think for me there was something about, so what's the situation? What are we doing about it? Um but of course, the external situation, the symptoms of the eating disorder, uh, are, are, they're not the same as what's happening inside for her. And, and I, I think I've read some poems and prose by people who are suffering with eating disorders. And you realise that, 
you think you're dealing with something that has a few things on the surface, but deep inside there is utter chaos and turmoil for the person mm. who's suffering. And, and actually mm. they, they, they just need to be desperately need to be loved and, you know, held and, and encouraged, mm. not just fixed, but to be given the kind of security that means they can look at all that chaotic thought processes. For me, as the dad, um, compared with Jill, my wife, where she talks about being more emotionally involved and more directly impacted, for me, I wonder if, on reflection, I was uh, taking the more logical, rational approach versus the more emotional approach and wanting to look at it more factually as to what was being eaten, what wasn't being eaten, rather than in the firing line in the way that I saw uh, Jill uh, become quite entrenched in. And I think that now makes me realise it's less uh, able in my mind to recall some of the events because Jill would see it in the, in the real raw points. Not to say that I didn't, but uh, so uh, more in a logical approach. But the other thing I would say is that I actually did witness Jill as, as the mother getting so uh, drawn into it that I felt like my role also was to take care of her as well as the daughter, as well as uh, my daughter's uh, two siblings. So whether it's a man thing, but as rightly or wrongly feeling that ultimately the caretaker of the family, um, I was also conscious that my wife was close to going under. Mm. I had to balance that with how much time I could challenge my daughter about the impact that she was making, but being mindful of the danger of that. But I also had distractions in the way that Jill, as the full-time mum still at the time, I had a day job to go to. I had other outlets that were able to keep me possibly ring-fenced without getting so sucked in in the way that I saw Jill doing. But we, I don't know if we actually ever spoke about that that often. No. And, and I think it's really interesting. I, I remember reading something so crucial about um, that the eating disorder will exploit any fissures or cracks in a relationship mm. and prize it apart in order to then really flourish even more. And, you know, because you have different parenting styles. And so our daughter would say, yeah, but dad's, dad said I didn't need that piece of toast. And I was oh, Dave, what is it? you know, and, and then when I read that, I thought we need to be an absolutely united team here. Something's happening. Um, and so that's often not talked about is what, what, you know, issues that there might be in relationships and how you have to try to pull together as a, as a whole unit to fight against the eating disorder. Thank you. I think that's, I think that's so crucial and applies to the whole family as well although yeah. I have to say that um you know I feel like looking back we muddled through we muddled through mm. we didn't have we didn't have a plan <laughs> we just muddled through um and I'm so grateful to the friend that Graham referred to earlier without that kind of outside person helping us I don't know how we would have managed but do you think there's other things as well that feels like such a kind of basic one but other things as well that people don't talk about I was sort of thinking about for us um 
oh, I don't know, things like, my, you know, our daughter had bulimia. So I could prepare lovely food. And I used to think, well, why don't I just put it straight down the toilet? Um, you know, it, and that felt like a very personal rejecting thing sometimes, mm-hmm. just the, mm-hmm. the pain of that rejection and that mm-hmm. just sort of um, feeling contr- feeling controlled as well. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't want us to talk to anybody about it and all of that kind of stuff. And I had to... It was really hard to give myself permission to think, actually, no, I'm not. It took me ages to learn that I was allowed to talk about difficulties we were having with other people because she didn't want want me to, except, of course, it wasn't really her, was it? As you rightly say, it was the condition. It was the Mm. eating disorder, trying to uh, keep, keep. Yeah, keep keeping control itself. So that's another couple of things that thought mm, worth I think, mentioning. Uh, yeah, I think also related to that is that food always features, doesn't it, as part of any kind of celebration that you have. Mm. You know, if you're gonna have a celebration, you you put on food, and and, and I think that kind of meant that every mm. celebration was was tinged with anxiety, with or with a whole range of terrible things. Really, um, you know, meals together didn't feel like a safe place anymore kitchen mm. didn't feel like a safe place and um and mm. I, I, yeah. I, again i've heard people say that uh, eating disorders don't just steal life from the sufferer but they kind of steal life from the whole community around them mm. um yeah. and uh, and uh, i think also for us it, it helped to and i think i've heard you say this that um jill that that See, seeing the eating disorder as not my daughter, mm. but as something that had kind of infected her was really helpful because actually underneath the eating disorder, she was still the same girl with the same lovely yeah. qualities and somebody that I adored and somebody I wanted to be mm. close to and somebody I wanted to be able to celebrate with and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, and certainly now, you know, where, where we're in this place where she's recovered... I don't find myself looking back and in any way blaming her, but I, I do blame the eating mm. disorder for the life that it stole from us at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to work at differentiating out the eating disorder from the person, mm. um, and that takes a lot of... Well, I think, you know, we'll, we'll come on to that really, probably about educating yourself, um, because as you say, you're just fumbling in the dark to begin with. And and it affects everybody, and and that also makes the sufferer feel even mm. more guilty because, of course, the eating disorder is blaming them, and there's this horrible abuser really mm. screaming at them, and and I, I don't think I fully appreciated that to begin with. So there was a lot of you, you're, you're just driving blind, aren't you flying? Blind, mm. I suppose. Yeah, I, I remember all of that. I've also got one other reflection, just thinking of what Graham was saying about using the visual tool of the knife and how that was almost like a standoff, if I can call it that way, in a way that made your daughter think I've got to make a response here. Um, There are certain things that I, as a parent of the daughter, probably didn't say to my child, to my daughter, but actually helped by the fact that she has siblings they would also they would often be the mouthpiece for you so when they saw that their sister wasn't taking food it would be they that would say to her but if you don't do that if you don't eat you're going to die or they would use certain other language which would be threatening in a way that mm. i think i'm not sure i 
did use very often, but the siblings were almost my proxies <laughs> to be able to say words mm. that I wanted my daughter, our daughter, to hear. Mm. But in a way, it was more acceptable coming from her siblings, mm. her hearing them from yeah. her, her older, slightly older brothers. That actually was a, a helpful agent in in her hearing what the consequences yeah. were uh, that sometimes added extra power than them coming from uh, her parents. Yeah. yeah. The sibling angle is a is an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because our, our daughter's siblings were younger than her, and I used to feel quite concerned when they were articulating and saying, well, if this happens, you know, because I'm thinking, well, you're not at an age where I want you to be thinking this way about your sister. I don't don't want you to feel those things. And yet it affected them just as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I think, especially for us, at the beginning we had to be with our daughter all the time once the thing was diagnosed, um, uh, all the time. Um, And that they got dragged into that as well, didn't they? And that's, as you say, it's especially when they're younger or whatever, whatever, it's just really hard, I think, um, for siblings to not be not have the con, you know, all this control thing is such an issue in all of this, isn't it? Really. So when when things were kind of like at their worst and hardest, what what helped you get through? What helped you get through? Looking back, do you think? Well, I think what once, like you, die. I I gave myself permission to tell more and more people because mm-hmm. the stigma of shame was very great at the beginning. Um, and I also blamed myself, which didn't help um, for for our daughter's eating disorder. So um, uh, then, just the support, having a, a te- creating a team, not just you know Dave and myself, and I guess working together as a whole family. Um, it was friends, wider family, and um, we're we're both Christians. You're um, a minister, and um, we we discovered there were so many people praying for our our daughter um, that I would get you know texts saying you know just that we we're doing that for for her and how is she doing when she was in hospital and so on and just that that knowledge was a wonderful support um, and also you know before our daughter was admitted to hospital you know I, I went to a Taste Life course and I although she um, was fairly stuck and resistant to change she came along um it was really very beneficial for me because I recognized good what type good. of carer I was um a mixture of a jellyfish and a rhinoceros <laughs> a jellyoceros and um I, I realized you know, that really helped me to to give me that literally like a, a dolphin nudge to sort of go uh, alongside uh this this gorgeous girl and to change the way actually I was being um, and just seeking more support for for myself. So that's what I did in the midst. And also the very fact that our daughter was admitted into hospital, uh, where it meant that we could just trust that she was in the best possible place, surrounded by really caring, loving professionals that they knew far more than we possibly understood um, and was receiving all the right treatments. And I think that just allowed us to return to being parents 
as we've said before, rather than carers and hopefully a bit of parenting alongside it. And I think that it just enabled us to see eventually the little baby steps of improvements that gave us reassurance, that gave us hope Mm -hmm. and just allowed us to think, actually, we can get through this. There were days when we thought this is going to be certainly a long journey, but we don't know what the last page in the story looked like. Um, but what, as each day by day of recovery took place, it just built us a, a place, a, a, into a place where we just felt like um, we're going to uh, see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, uh, what helped us get through, I mean, you've already mentioned other people, and I think um, when you're in a supporting role, self-care, other people supporting you is an important part and uh, knowing other people were cheering us on was really, really helpful. I I think also in the scarier moments, um, it helped to know what we were prioritising, almost like when your children are little, you you fight one battle at a time, don't you? Um, And and it felt like, okay, in, in this season... It doesn't matter anything else. At the moment, what matters is trying to help her get enough of the right calories down and keep them down. And so the the potassium levels begin to creep up. Almost anything else didn't matter. And then once that was stabilised, it was one other thing, like trying to get the weight a little bit higher um, or, or, or um, you know, more moments of celebration or helping her to be more open to her friends or it's it always felt like the whole thing felt rather like the classic you know how do you eat an elephant the whole thing was so big you just need a small a small priority to work on at, at a time I think mm. and then the, the, and then um, working out what to do when it feels like it's all unraveling again um because you mentioned, Jill, didn't you, mm. about the doctor's visits and mm. when the blood test came back very negative and you thought you were making progress, figuring out how to manage that really kind of anxious emotion yeah. inside. Yeah. Um, I remember one time, you know, um, my daughter and I, when we were doing, trying to do hospital at home and had gone to a supermarket and... Um, you know, she was just being anorexic. Um, and um, I, we pulled up and I, I just, I'd probably at, at that point of real burnout, I couldn't do it anymore. And so she she was quite, oh, mum's really scary, I'm going inside. And um, you were looking after her and her other brother upstairs. And the, the other brother came down, I could hear him open the back door. I was still holding on to the steering wheel. I was that kind of just frozen and he came down the steps, through the back door, got into the car behind me and put his arms around my shoulders and said, Mum, you can do this. Wow. You've got this. Yeah. You just need to stop losing it. Mm. And and just that moment actually wow. really grounded me. Mm. And I thought, yes, I've got, I've got to do this. I can, I can do it. Mm. I probably needed that. You know, and he knew I needed that. So I, I'm forever mm. grateful for all of them, mm. actually. Mm. I think there are also times when our, our daughter helped us to know what to do as well. I was just thinking specifically mm. that 
I mean, the, the, the battle was always going to the doctor and standing on the scales. And one day she said, um, why don't you weigh me and not tell me? And, I, and, and it was just a simple little thing, but actually that took all of the sting out of it for her at that point. Yes, the same with, with our daughter. Um, I mean, I think that when she was in hospital, they, they said, what about going backwards on the scales? And she did. Mm. And that helped enormously. Yeah. Didn't want mm. to know. Mm. So it took, take some of the fear out, doesn't Absolutely, it, it did. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if we could look at some of the things that, you know, while recognising, even in the best situation, we're never going to be perfect as parents and probably not supposed to be either. But there's probably some things that we might look back and think, oh, I could have done that differently or certainly working with Taste Life. I've got, you know, so many do's and don'ts now that might be helpful for parents and maybe we could look at those I think uh I was thinking earlier that it's actually some of the things that I wish I'd done differently that 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 actually have resulted in in creating the whole taste life charity because I you know I think if only someone had told me or if only if only um Mm -hmm. Uh, then that would have been so good. So, uh, uh, and I think as a mum, what I did, I wanted to sort of just gather up our daughter and just help her to fix it. Um, No, I didn't. I gathered up our daughter and I wanted to fix it. I wanted to almost baby her again. And although there was a, a rightful element of that at the beginning that needed to happen, actually in the end, as we've said before, she had, you know, she had to fix herself. So that has become such an important thing within the taste life material is it's really important to try and empower Mm. the person Mm. rather than fix it for them. I mean, you can't anyway, but actually I know what it's like when somebody empowers me and believes in me, doesn't Mm. take over. But actually I wish now I'd said a lot more times, what what, what might you want to do about this situation we are going to this party what would you like to do about that Mm. that I could help you with rather than you know we're going to the party (laughs) you need to think about it you know and just freaking her out and freaking myself out yes Um, yes so that that's yeah that would be my probably top offering when I look back Mm. now and Mm. wish that someone had sort of said to me yeah and and I think you you go into default mode don't you as a parent because everything particularly maybe a mothering instinct but of course it's fathering too but it is very much about fixing when their need and that comes from perhaps your own need rather than their need which is actually to have a little bit more of a a distance coaching style um and 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 you as you say kind of empowering you know that nudging pointing the way forward and um, so I, I think that I would. I wish that I could go back and be be different, but that's that's where I was, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all of that resonates. Uh, I can think of scenarios of, of when I was, I or maybe we both as parents were more directive, and saw yeah. a daughter who wasn't able to decide about anything, and yeah. therefore we'll just be in the driving seat. Yeah, and I can imagine now how much internal terror that may have caused inside the heart and mind of our daughter. I think also we've talked about um, almost doing it in the muddle on the day-to-day and with the yeah. best intentions, it was yeah. all very yeah. reactive. Yeah. And so to 
put the clock back and have a much more joined up plan between Jill and me as, as the mum and the dad and making sure that we stuck to it as a united front mm. and not allow and I, I think that our daughter did see a few cracks in consistency in a way that mm. you were saying earlier mm. about well dad said I didn't need to eat that bit <laughs> and you know you 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 take your daughter's word for it when actually because the disease disorder uh, is a liar it can actually put lies into that person's sufferers uh, mouth too and in, in which case I actually didn't say that she didn't couldn't eat that piece of toast but she was using it as a as a mm. tool so we need to just be really transparent from the very beginning yeah it's a big do yeah so I think my big don't is if you are more leaning towards you know the emotional um, side of parenting um, don't act out kind of n- your own negative emotions in in that because it's it's not gonna help and in fact it might just sort of inflame the the eating disorder because it empowers itself it uses it um and so yeah definitely and and also to educate yourself so uh reading books and having respite um we had lovely friends that would go and visit her and uh, yeah um take over so that you again, you've got you've got some distance, and you can just try to be yourself. And when with um, the sufferer to expand, you know, the other domains, if you like, because everything is being seen through a straw, only about food, weight, the fear, and everything. And reminding them, will you love makeup? You love putting on, you know nail varnish let's go and you know have a maker or let's do this going out and just seeing more uh and doing things together that were not food related or anything like that they were the times when we both had respite from the illness when i think about our daughter doing normal stuff doing that, normal stuff yes because that's what you lose sight of isn't absolutely. it absolutely and i can remember though i just also sort of an encouraging note like um that, that that kind of thing of, well, did I get this wrong? Did I get that wrong? I mean, our daughter recovered, even though we got loads of stuff wrong and we did muddle through and it was all a bit, it was all horribly messy and frightening and all of those things. Um, but she did get better. And so it's not a case of if I don't get it right, then you know it's going to have a knock-on effect. These are just sort of um, suggestions, really, just to help along the way. And I think that I also learnt... One of the things that I learned through it that is a gift is to be more honest with all my children. I had to learn that because I think in my kind of trying to be a great mum, wasn't always honest about how I was mm. feeling. And that, mm. that was a step forward because it drove me to be honest, if that makes sense, because yeah. I lost all my filters. Um, and that, that was a good, a good and healthy thing to happen within our family, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in the long term. So, you know the the potential of all these horribly difficult crises is that good good things are found yeah. diamonds are found in the in the darkness aren't they absolutely and i would just say that you know try not to engage in in bl- the blame game oh. trying to find 
a reason because it's not just one thing. It's not your fault. There's, they're still doing so much research. It's mm. multifaceted. So, you know, don't go down the corridor of, of uh, it's just a dead end of thinking it, it's me, you know, or whatever. That's just not helpful. I was just thinking exactly the same. I remember at the time our daughter was suffering, they, the, the kids, we, we all watched Neighbours together. There's this little scene in Neighbours where I think his name is Joe Scully says to his wife, don't the kids realise we're not professional parents, we're just normal ones that are doing our best. And I thought that, that really sort of stuck with me because I thought I'm desperately trying to get it right, but I don't yeah. really know what's right. And, you know, and that's why I think the you know, going out shopping or going for a walk or doing the normal things mm. reconnects you at a level that's nothing to do with food or weight mm. or any of those things. Absolutely. I think it's there's a quote from Martin Luther King that says, every mistake is a treasure. Mm. You don't see it at the time, but actually, you know, it's, yeah. So thank you. Thank you all for talking today and sharing your stories and yeah just your honesty and willingness because uh, it's tricky stuff isn't it and the reason that we've done this is because we want that it will help others who are facing sort of situations that we faced so thank you Jill and mm. Dave and Graham and me yeah thank you thank you both as well for having us absolutely uh, having it's been good to be able to share our own stories Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Back to the Table. Hope you can join us next time. So for more information, to find out more about what we do, do visit www.tastelifeuk.org. This episode was hosted by Di Archer and the guests were Jill and Dave Batterson and Graham Archer. The Back to the Table podcast was produced by Taste Life in collaboration with Fuzzbox Productions.